Today, the promise of victory. The word victory means a success or a triumph in a battle or a war. So that's what the word, I looked right up on the, the Google and found that definition right there. And it got me to thinking about famous victories throughout history. And the first one I thought of was this one when the, I think there were Marines put the flag up on Iwo Jima. Is that right, Marines? All right. Simplify, y'all. And then uh, the second one, I thought of the Allied troops after World War II was over. Those are American troops going through France where the war was over. It was a victory march for the Allied forces. And then in 1997, 98, the Broncos won their first Super Bowl. Remember, this one's for John, Pat Bowen famously said. The drought was over. Um, And then for me as a Rockies fan, this one, like at the end of uh, a four-game sweep of the Diamondbacks, the Rockies win their first National League pennant. Todd Helton recently in the Hall of Fame. You can't see what I'm pointing at, but it's on this screen, sorry. Todd Helton recently won, uh, went into the Hall of Fame, but that's such a great picture. He was so happy. Victory had won, and they went to the World Series and got swept in four games by the Red Sox. So that was quick-lived there. The most important victory in history is the empty tomb. That, that victory of Jesus' death and resurrection freed you and I from our enemies of sin, death, and the evil one. He nailed sin to the cross. He, when he rose, from, submitted himself to death and rose to resurrected life, he triumphed over death. And then he stripped the evil one of his authority and his power. Now, when you look around our world, it's hard to see that victory of Jesus, is it not? Like the world, I know I still sin. I'm sure you do too. People still die. The evil one seems to be having a heyday at times in our world. Well, what Jesus did for us 2,000 years ago hasn't been fully realized yet. I was talking to Mark McCauley recently, and he said, a good way to read the Bible is to start in Revelation 21 and 22. When you know the victory of Jesus, we see the new Jerusalem. We see God wiping away every tear. There will be no more sorrow, no more sadness, no more sickness. Jesus will be, have that complete victory. The first time he did it spiritually for us and overcame sin, death, and the evil one, it will be fully realized one day because of that empty tomb. We are victors. He is the victor and we're in him. We live in the victory of Jesus on our behalf. And so we can have victory, not just salvation. We can have victory in our thought life, victory over habits. We can have victory in our relationships if we learn how to live in the victory of Christ. And so we're in a series called Promises, Promises. And The reason we titled that was because in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 20, Paul says that no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Jesus. He is the fulfillment of every one of God's promises. And so in Paul's 
the second letter to the Corinthians, we've been mining, looking for a promise in each one of these chapters. Today's the promise of victory. Brian did an outstanding job last week with the promise of generosity. If you didn't get a chance to to hear that message, I highly encourage. It was very well done. Today is the promise of victory, that we are victors in Christ. And how do we learn how to live in that victory? When I was studying this in chapter 10, I saw three, three things that help us to live in the victory of Jesus. You ready for it? All right. To live as a victor, first of all, I need to respond to critics like Jesus. I need to learn how to respond to criticism like Jesus. It's so important in our lives as we mature spiritually, relationally, in every way that we learn to respond to people, circumstances, situations, rather than react. And guess who I'm preaching to the most right now? This guy. I am a reactor. I I didn't look for trouble when I was young, but if it found me, then I reacted to it. Anybody relate to that? You find you, you react, it just fly off the handle, and you're like, man, why am I reacting rather than responding? Well, remember the context of this letter. In 2 Corinthians, Paul is, he's having to defend himself. 2 Corinthians might be the most personal of his letters because the Corinthian church is near and dear to his heart, and, but they had fallen to these false accusations about Paul. These Judaizers came in behind Paul's ministry and got the Corinthians to question whether Paul was really an apostle. Did he really know what he was saying? And he's hurt. He's, he's hurt. You ever been hurt, like misunderstood? Somebody uh, says things about you that aren't true? If so, you can, you can relate to Paul's letter here and what he's saying. He is trying to respond to the criticism like Jesus would. He says in verse 1, Now I, Paul, myself urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am meek when face to face with you, but bold toward you when absent. The word meekness, don't ever confuse with the word weakness. Meekness is literally controlled strength. Somebody of great stature physically um, or whatever, they control that power instead of flying off the handle. To be meek is what is the description of Jesus, right? Jesus is the creator and sustainer of all things. Jesus raised people from the dead. Jesus healed the sick. He stopped storms from happening, yet he was always controlling that strength. He never flew off the handle. Jesus, um, A.W. Tozer is an author. He once said that um, the Christian life is not a playground, but a battleground. And he said, if you want to be used by God in ministry and to serve others and to, to further his kingdom, expect adversity, expect criticism. Jesus didn't react to his critics. He always responded. He always responded in one of three ways, truth, humility, 
and love. Truth, humility, and love. So you and I need to learn how to respond to critics or life rather than react to it in truth, humility, and love. How, how was Jesus able to do that? Well, first of all, Jesus knew who he was. He knew his identity as the Son of God. He knew who he was, that he didn't need the uh, props of men or people. He didn't need the applause of, of mankind. He was living for the, for the love of his Father. And his Father said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. That's enough. That's enough. Jesus also knew what his purpose was. He knew what his mission was. So he didn't get off the tracks when people criticize him. He just stayed focused. He knew who he was and he knew what his purpose was. So for you and I to respond to life correctly or criticism or when we're misunderstood or conflict, we have to know who we are in Jesus. And you have to know what your purpose is. And if you don't know your purpose, This is going to sound very arrogant, but I know what your purpose is. It's to love God and to love people. The purpose of our lives is love. That is the purpose of our lives. How we learn to love one another is, um, it's a lifelong journey. But last week I was um, on YouTube and Tim McGraw was, there was a video of Tim McGraw dedicating his song, Live Like You Were Dying. Everybody heard that song, right? Live Like You're Dying. Great song, great message. And he was dedicating it to Toby Keith, who had recently passed away from stomach cancer at the age of 62. And um, as he was talking, Tim McGraw said something so profound, it stuck with me. He said, every single one of us, we all have less time on this earth than we think. Think about that for a second. We all have less time in this body, on this earth, than we really think. There's accidents, there's health, there's all kinds of things that happen. And as he was singing this, live like you're dying, I thought, yeah, that's important. But to live like I'm dying, to live my very best life is to be love like I'm dying. Spend your life loving the people that God has put in your life, your family, your spouse, your friends, your community, love like you're dying. Because the reality is all of us have an expiration date. Spend your life not pursuing the praises of people or money or success or these things. Pursue a life that at the end of the day, the end of your life, you can say, I loved well. That is a life that's well spent. And it's what teaches us how to, to, to truly live in the way of Jesus, is to live a life of love. Forgive quickly. Learn to forgive. Learn to ask for forgiveness when you blow it. Mend those broken relationships. Spend your life on what is most important to Jesus. In responding to critics like Jesus, I remember a while back I... I was on Twitter, or what is now called the X, um, and that's so confusing. Like, is it Twitter or is it X? But anyway, um, Rick Warren, I'm a huge uh, fan of Rick Warren. He planted a church in Southern California called Saddleback, 
And he's seen so many people come to a, a saving faith in Jesus and healing and just, just phenomenal. I'm not called to that size of a church, but he was, and he fu- has fulfilled his calling. And his methods are a little bit different. And some fundamentalist people don't like the way he's done things. And they say bad things about him from their mom's you know, basement on their computer on their blocks. And one guy, one big church fundamentalistic pastor was ripping Rick Warren on the X. And somebody said, Rick, what do you, what do you think about what this guy's saying about you? He's like, ah, uh, what that person feels about me isn't going to change how I feel about them. They're a great pastor, great man of God's word, etc. I thought, that's a guy who gets it. That's a guy who's learned who he, in his identity, he doesn't need the praise of all people. And then you think about the words of Jesus. I think his strongest command was love your enemies. An enemy is somebody who's hostile towards you. We look at the nations and we look at the world, and yeah, nations are hostile to each other. But hostility can be in a marriage, can be in a household, can be in a family, can be in a, in a church. Love your enemies. Love the person that's showing hostility to you. Very difficult. Um, Solomon, in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 7, he says, don't entertain every word you overhear your servant say about you. Because you know you yourself have said the same things. Right? I mean, he said, don't, don't make a big deal about somebody that misunderstands you. They're not your sense of self-worth and identity. Many, many years ago, I've been doing ministry a long time. And early on in, in ministry, I was a youth pastor. And I... Uh, we, we went to a, a, I was at a prayer meeting, and this guy who had kids in the, the youth group um, pulled me aside, and he, he just really was dogging me and saying all these things, hurtful things to me, in that, you know, I, I wasn't any good at ministry, I wasn't friendly, I wasn't this, and it was all these things. I'm like, what, where's this coming from? And it really bummed me out. And I went from this early morning prayer meeting to a staff meeting. And my countenance must have been pretty down. And one of my uh, co-workers said, are you okay? And I told him what happened and that I was pretty devastated by those words. He goes, if one little person can devastate you, you're not going to last very long in ministry. He was right. He, that, that's not just ministry, that's just life, right? So respond, to live in the victory of Jesus. Paul's telling us, respond to criticism like Jesus. Number two, you've got to remember we're still in a fight. One of my favorite illustrations of how the gospel historically is working its way from the foundation of the world to Jesus' second coming in the new Jerusalem, the new heavens, the new earth, is what happened at the end of World War II. At the end of World War II, uh, the Allied forces declared the war was over. We call that D-Day, right? D-Day. And that's where you see some of the celebrations and things of the pictures that we put up. But the battle 
still went on in many different places in, in Europe and Africa. There were still people who weren't giving up. And they were still you know, blowing towns up and, and, and little, little battles were still raging. A year later after D-Day, the, the, war, the battles completely stopped. And we call that V-Day. V-Day, Total Victory Day. Now, we, spiritually, so to speak, we are living in between D-Day, which was in the life, death, and resurrection, Jesus defeats our enemies of sin, death, and the evil one. But we haven't hit D-Day yet. D-Day, so to speak, is Revelation 21 and 22, when Jesus comes and sets all things right. We're living in between there, where there's still a battle that's going on that you and I find ourselves in. Paul says this, I ask that when I'm present, I need not be bold with the confidence with which I intend to be courageous against some who regard us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not wage battle according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying arguments and all arrogance raised against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. This fight is not a physical fight. This fight is not one one with swords, tanks, guns, bombs. It's a spiritual fight battle it's a spiritual fight that we're in the apostle paul in ephesians 6 verse 10 finally be strong in the lord and in the strength of his might put on the full armor of god so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers against the powers against the world forces of this darkness against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. When you are at odds with somebody or a nation is at odds with one another, there's a force behind that teasing out this animosity. And we need to be aware of the schemes of the evil one. He is a deceiver. He deceived Adam and Eve in the garden told them that they couldn't trust God and that God was holding out on them and God was actually far away somewhere and that you couldn't trust his word. They got deceived. We get deceived. The evil one's always whispering stuff in our ears to try to deceive us in our lives and our relationships and our, our behaviors. He's, he's a liar. He, Jesus said he is the father of all lies. He can't do anything but lie. He's also a discourager. The, the evil one wants to discourage you and I. And when we allow discouragement to get into our hearts and to take root, it can lead us down a path towards all kinds of depression and things. But you know what? He's a divider. He's a divider of friendships. He's a divider of marriages. He's a divider of families, communities, and churches. All division comes from the evil one. It doesn't mean that people aren't responsible. Don't get me wrong. We're not just robots that he, he, he puppets for him. 
we're responsible and accountable, but He is behind what's going on in deceiving people, in discouraging people, and trying to divide people. And then, thirdly, what I saw in this chapter, to live in the victory of Christ is to rely on humility. Rely on humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's uh, thinking of yourself less. Like you you become others-centered. As you humble yourself, you're more concerned about others than yourself. That's where humility really rests. Now remember the context. Paul's hurt. People have falsely accused him of all kinds of things. He could have reacted. He could have done all kinds of things. But Paul relied on humility. And don't ever forget this. When you feel like you had a false accusation about you or, or somebody misunderstood you, God knows the feeling of that. We accuse God of all kinds of things that are simply not true about God. God is good and God is love. Work everything backwards from there. We accuse God of being this monster sometimes. Some, some people's view of God is, is quite frankly terrible. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Look at the life of Jesus in the Gospels. He said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He is what God is like. So here's a, a lengthy passage, but Paul says, you are looking at things as they are outwardly. If anyone is confident in himself that he is Christ, have him consider this again within himself, that just as he is Christ, so too are we. For if we boast somewhat more about our authority, which the Lord gave for, the building, for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be put to shame, for I do not want to seem as if I would terrify you by my letters. For they say, his letters are weighty and strong, but by his personal presence is unimpressive and his speech contemptible. I'm sure that's what he was, how he would have said it. Have such a person consider this, that, that what we are in word by letters when absent, such persons we are also indeed when present. For we do not presume to rank or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves. But when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they have no understanding. But we will not boast beyond our measure, but within the measure of the domain which God assigned to us as a measure to reach even as far as you. For we are not overextending ourselves as if we did not reach you. For we were the first one to come even as far as you in the gospel of Christ, not boasting beyond our measure, that is in other people's labors, with the hope that as your faith grows, we will be within our domain, enlarged even more by you, so as to preach the gospel even to the regions beyond you, and not to boast in what has been accomplished in the domain of another. But the one who boasts is to boast in the Lord, for it is not the one who commends himself that is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends." Paul is saying here, as he's relying on humility, he's saying, I could use my apostleship. I could use my calling to rebuke you, to let you have it. But he's choosing to respond 
like Jesus and to rely upon humility. In other words, he laid down his right to be right. Do you ever get in silly arguments with people? Okay. You're like, go ahead, preach on. Amen. We, we really do. You get in the silliest things because I'm right in this. I'm right. You're wrong. Let me show you. Let me prove it. You said, but you said. Lay down your right to be right. And I'm looking at me. Lay down your right to be right. Humility was a close friend to Paul. Humility needs to be a close friend of us all. Because you know what? Our God is a humble God. Our Savior is a humble Savior. And He's working in and through each of our different personalities, our different experiences, our different seasons of life, working humility in us. Humility does not judge by outward appearance. Humility doesn't make a judgment about somebody's status or money or car or looks or any of that. Humility looks at Jesus. Humility helps us keep our eyes on Jesus rather than people or circumstances. Humility makes us free to serve, free to forgive when, when we're wrong, free to truly love people. I'll never forget one time, I heard the Holy Spirit say, if you need somebody, you're not going to be free to love them. If I need you to need me, if I want you to want me, I'm just kidding, that did pop in all our heads, did it not? When we, when we don't need somebody, you're free to serve them unconditionally. That's when we're really like Jesus in how we love. So... What I thought we could do as a way of concluding is, if you stand with me, let's celebrate his victory in in song. We're going to sing the song, uh, Living Hope or Cornerstone, because that's who Jesus is. He's won the victory for us. We are now living in that victory and learning how to live in that victory. Every part of our life is learning how to live in the victory that Jesus provides for you and I. And it's as we grow in our faith, our hope grows, then we can, we can learn to, that, that in this life, people are going to misunderstand us, talk bad about us, even when we have pure motives. It's just, that's the way this world is right now. But then we can, you know, we can learn to be like Jesus. So Father, as we sing, would you flood and fill our minds and hearts with joy? Flood and fill our minds with with faith, a fresh filling of your spirit, an awareness of your grace and goodness. And Lord, as we we will leave from here today walking in victory. Help us. Silence the mouth of the evil one who is trying even at this very moment to make us doubt you. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name.
that lay between us how high the mountain I could not climb in desperation I turned to heaven I spoke your name into the night then through the darkness your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul the work is finished the end is written Jesus Christ my living hope who could so great a mercy what heart could fathom such boundless grace the god of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame the cross has spoken i am forgiven the King of Kings calls me His own. Beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Oh, hallelujah, praise the one who set me free.
you've never agreed with Jesus that he's Savior and Lord, today's a good day to do that. Just by faith, Jesus, I trust you. You're my Savior. You lived and died and rose again on my behalf. And he's Lord. But he's not the kind of Lord that's a taskmaster that we've tried to make Jesus out to be. He's a humble Lord, a humble king who said, build your life on me and my teachings, my way of life. The way of Jesus is always the way of victory into love, and to forgive and to serve and continue to be others centered. That's a lifelong task. That's counterintuitive, right? In many ways. But we learn how to live from who we are in Jesus and then we become models of his kind of life. Let's all commit to that. Let's commit to following Jesus because it's one thing to believe. It's another to do what he says to do and live how he says to live. But he said that his burden was easy and his yoke was light. And the yoke he's talking about, every rabbi had an interpretation of scripture and a way of life, a, a worldview. And that was what they called, you took on the yoke of your rabbi. Jesus said about his yoke, it's easy and it's light. But it's not, it's not, it goes in the face of how we're taught to live life from a world point of view about getting ahead and success and selfishness and popularity. The way of victory is the way of humility, but it's the best way. Following Jesus, he says, burden is easy as yoke is light. Sometimes following Jesus is difficult in situations, but it's the best way of life. It's the best way of life. Young people in this room, don't spend your life not following Jesus and, and pursue being cool versus being godly. If I could go back in time, I didn't become a Christian until I was 25. Those first 25 years were, were awkward because I didn't know who I was. I didn't know who Jesus was. But when I, when I became a follower of him, I knew purpose. I knew hope. My life has not been perfect the last 30 years of following him. I still make tons of mistakes, but I'm still going to follow him. I'm going to get up every day. And when I fail, I'm going to get up and follow him. And let's all commit to that. It's one thing I love about this church and about you, church family, is you're authentic, you're genuine. I hear that from people all the time, man. The people at Novation are the most friendly, genuine, authentic people. That's kudos to you. Father, as we leave here today, we've gathered with the church. Help us as we leave today to go be the church in our schools, in our communities, in our workplace, in our houses, and Wherever you call us to go, help us to be the church. To be your hands and feet, Lord. We love you. Thank you for loving us. 
with perfect love, infinite love, eternal love. Thank you that your mercy endures forever. We honor you, Lord Jesus. We honor you, Holy Spirit. We honor you, Father. We give you all the credit, all the glory. Thanks for bringing us in to the relationship of the Father and the Son that's eternal, Holy Spirit. Help us to rest securely in that relationship. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen.